Hey there, Pastor Mark here. It's our prayer that this message would encourage and equip you in your relationship with Jesus. We're able to provide this content due to the joyful generosity of our financial partners. And if you'd be willing to join that tribe and help get some sermons like this around the world, you can donate at harvestbaptist.info slash give. God bless. Uh, I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8 this morning. We are not going to be in Revelation, as you may have already guessed. Uh, We will wrap up our series on Revelation in the next two weeks. So we're at chapter number 22, and I'm excited about the next two weeks. Uh, We looked at the city of God, the new Jerusalem and heaven last week. But if you're not careful, you may have thought that like, it was all metropolitan, right? It was this big city and streets and all these people. And some of you are like, I'm not, I'm not metropolitan. You know, I'm a nature lover. I like to be in the outdoors. Good news. Next week, we get to look at the continuation of this uh, New Jerusalem. And we see rivers and trees and nature involved. So if you're like, I'm not a city person. I like the outdoors. Then you're, you're going to love next week. Um, But that's for two weeks, and then we start on Labor Day weekend, September the 3rd, a new series called Practicing the Practices, looking at the habits of Jesus that we as his followers need to adopt into our own lives. I'm I'm really excited about that. But this morning, we're in Deuteronomy, and I thought about this this day, I thought about uh, this sermon, I thought, do I I just keep doing Revelation, do I do something in light of 40 years? And um, I really felt like I should do something in light of 40 years. So I started with a blank Word document and just putting in my Bible search software, 40. I just wanted to see like what would come up, you know, and 40 was mentioned 158 times in the Bible. And I read through all of them and tried to see the background of them. And I was, I was amazed at how many times the number 40 is used in a significant way. And it, it really almost seems, if you read the Bible, like the Bible's 40 is our 50. So we use 50 as this grand milestone of their celebrating 50 years of marriage, right? They are entering into the golden years. That's age 50. The, some of the senior citizen discounts start to apply at age 50. Uh, even like a Super Bowl, Super Bowl Ford or 50 is better than Super Bowl 40. It just rings in a different way, 50 for us. But in the Bible, 40 is kind of like our 50. And you would find 40 all over the place. You would find that uh, Noah, when he got on the ark, it rained for 40 days and for 40 nights, right? You would find that Moses, when he went up to get the commandments of God, he was in the presence of God for 40 days and for 40 nights. And even Moses' life, according to Acts, is broken down into three chunks of 40. 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in the desert, and then 40 years leading the children of Israel. You would find, for example, that the children of Israel, when they wanted to have a king, they got a king, first one, Saul. And Saul reigned for 40 years. And then David, his predecessor, reigned for 40 years. And then Solomon, the the last king, when the kingdom was not divided but together, Solomon reigned, I'm going to let you guess it, Solomon reigned on the count of three. You tell me how long he reigned. One, two, three. 28 years. No, I'm just kidding. It was 40. He reigned 40 years. You answered right. You find that when God wants to serve an eviction notice, he gives people 40 days. He sent Jonah to Nineveh. It was like, repent or I'm coming after you. 
It's, it's all going to change, and you got 40 days to repent. Even in Jesus' life and ministry, right, Jesus goes in the wilderness, and he prays and he fasts for 40 days and for 40 nights. He raises from the dead, and he shows himself to the apostles for 40 days. There's 40 all over the Bible. But there was this one passage that I just kept going back to that was a celebration of 40 years, really. And it's in Deuteronomy chapter number 8. And here's the backstory. Moses has been leading the children of Israel for 40 years. He's passing the baton to Joshua, and he is telling the people that, hey, it's been a good ride. And he looks back at 40 years, and he says, you know what? We've been through a lot. We came out of Egypt together. We crossed the Red Sea together. That was miraculous. I went up into the mountain and I got the commandments and then I came down the mountain and I got angry and I smashed the commandments and thankfully God has a good return policy because I took him the broken ones and he got me some new ones. He reflects, he remembers wandering in the wilderness. And Moses more or less in Deuteronomy chapter number eight says, in light of 40 years, I want you to know this. And he gives them a lot, but kind of three big things that they need to remember or they need to know in light of 40 years. And this morning, in light of 40 years, I want you to know those three things. So here's number one. In light of 40 years, know this. You need the word of God. Verse number one of Deuteronomy 8 says, all the commandments which I commanded thee this day shall ye observe to do, that ye may live and multiply And go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee, listen to this, these 40 years in the wilderness, to humble thee and to prove thee and to know what is in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. And he did humble thee. And he suffered thee to hunger, and he fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee to know. Now listen to this. 40 years he's done this, he humbled you, he fed you, so that you may learn this lesson. He wants you to know, he was after this truth, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. What a perfect piece of instruction for them, right? They are about to enjoy the benefits of the promised land, and what was the promised land all about? bread. It was all about, we're going to get to this spot, and we're not going to have to scrimp and save and starve. We're going to go in a land where there is milk and honey flowing like rivers. We're going to go in a land, and there's grapes as big as your head. We're going to go in this land, and there's going to be provision, and there's going to be abundance. If you actually look down in verse number eight of the same chapter, they talk about the land, the land where is wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil, a land of honey. What are they saying? We're going to get to this place and it's going to be about the bread. Our bellies will be full and that will be amazing. There will be ease and comfort. There will be surplus. But Moses gets real clear with them. And he says, if you think that you can gain ease and comfort and surplus and full bellies, but forget the word of God, you will lose. You can gain all of that, but if you forget his word, you will lose. 
And in light of 40 years, I don't know that there could be a more fitting instruction for our church. God has been good and God has blessed. We also look forward to how God will be good and God will bless. And we can gain so much. We even right now, like in the middle of kind of a a building program, we look forward to the day. Like in the spring when dirt is going to turn and iron will come up out of the ground and we will have an auditorium that we will meet in, an auditorium that will be acoustically like engineered where this section of the room is not like it's loud and this section of the room at the same time is like it's too quiet. Like it'll be made for singing and for preaching in a place where there'll be expanded kids ministries and there'll be elbow room and there'll be extra security for those kids and all those things. But if we gain the acoustics, and we gain the elbow room, and we gain the security, and we gain all of these places and spaces, but we lose the Word of God, we lose. We lose. It's not about buildings. It's about people knowing God's Word, finding God through His Word, and then finding freedom in their lives. It's what it's about. And I am very grateful on this day that our church has a long track record of this, you know? There's so many things I'm grateful for Pastor Skelly's ministry, but probably at the top of my list would be that he was preaching verse by verse through the Bible before preaching verse by verse through the Bible was popular. Like just wanting to give people the word of God. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful to do my best to try to carry that baton and that we as a church have always said, let us be known. We didn't say it in these words, but our calling card was, let us open our Bibles to learn and let us open our lives to love. That's been in our DNA since the beginning, that we want to understand this book and we also want to love each other. May that always be true of us. 45 years may it be true of us. 50 years may it be true of us. May it be true of us at our 80-year celebration that we love the Word of God. It's funny that, not funny, probably fitting actually, that Jesus, when he is tempted in the wilderness, quotes that phrase from Deuteronomy 8, right? 40 days and 40 nights he's there, he's fasting, he's praying, and the devil comes to him to tempt him and to say, hey, Let's make some bread. Hey, I got some stuff. You want it? Look at these kingdoms. You can rule them, whatever. And Jesus says, don't you know it's written? Man doesn't live by bread alone. It's not about the stuff. But man lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Some years ago, I read a story about Margaret Thatcher. And I may have once previously shared this story. If I have, forgive me. But Thatcher was the prime minister of Great Britain, and she was at the end of her leading and her tenure, whereas George H.W. Bush was at the very beginning of his presidency, or towards the beginning, I should say. And Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait, and George Herbert Walker Bush was debating on what to do. You know, that's that's a tough decision. Do we engage in this? Do we help? Do we not? Do we keep to ourselves? You know, it's, it's an impossible decision that not everyone is going to agree with, no matter what you do. And Margaret Thatcher got a hold of, of George Herbert Walker Bush. And she had some advice for him. And her advice was very simple. Her advice was, George, this is no time to go wobbly. Those are her words. George, stay steady, buddy. Don't go wobbly. I think that's a fitting piece of advice for us at 40 years. With our relationship with the Word of God as a church, this is no time to go wobbly. 
Right? We're not at 40 years and like, okay, we've arrived, we've figured some stuff out. Now we can rely on our genius and our wisdom and our efforts and our budgeting skills and our programs. And our, no, 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 no. It's not a time to go wobbly on the word. It's not a time for us. And sadly, there are a lot of churches that are doing this that are backtracking off of the Bible and are saying, you know, I don't know. Like, I mean, there's some good stuff in there, obviously, but like the miracles, eh, maybe a little too miraculous. I don't know. Maybe that's just fanciful. You know, I mean, we like the Bible, but, you know, some of the parts, they're just a little too bloodthirsty. You know, it's like, we'll ignore that. We'll just stick to the red words and we'll, we'll ignore the black words. Like, no. That, that's never been what we've done, and it's, it should never be what we do in the future. That we should stick to the Word and say, we need to live by the Word of God. And what happens in churches, and this is just my observation, I don't have a verse for you on this, just my observation, is that those that tend to be quote-unquote conservative will be really good at telling you what they're against. They'll look at the Bible and they'll say, we're against this and we're against that and we're against this. We're against what's happening with the sexuality in our country and we are against uh, what, what people are trying to put forth in, in the political realm and we are against uh, this and we're against all these things. And the, the, the culture, the vibe, the temperature of that church will become judgmental, uh, negative, pretty pessimistic and just angry all the time. Then there's another group of churches that are quote-unquote liberal churches, and they'll tell you what they're for all the time. We are for mercy, and we are for love, and we are for uh, good news, we are for hope. But they'll almost never tell you what they're against. But if you, if you stick to the word, you know what will happen? You'll be for some stuff, and you'll be against some stuff because you won't be cherry picking the Bible anymore, right? You're not treating it like a cafeteria line. We're like, let me just look and see what, what I want to find in here that I like and ignore the rest. No, we are, because we are for Jesus, we're against Satan, right? That's how that works. Because we're for righteousness, we are against evil. Because we are for truth, we are against the, the narratives that are being put forth in our culture that are humanistic in nature, that are evolutionary theory in nature. Because we are for life, we are against abortion and killing our babies, right? And that's how that works. You look at the word and you say, I want this to be my guide. It's going to mean I'm for some stuff. It's going to mean I'm against some stuff. I'm for unity. So I'm against backbiting. I'm against gossip. I'm against slander. I'm against things that will rob us of unity, right? That's what a church should do. That's to say, let this be my guide. Not part of it. Not part of it. Not a portion of it. But let the whole thing be our guide. May we continue in that. In light of 40 years, may we know that we still need the Word of God. I would also say in light of 40 years, know this. The best is yet to come. I'm a pretty optimistic, hopeful person by nature. So I love this passage, or this portion of Deuteronomy chapter 8. Verse 4, 40 years we've been together, and thy raiment waxed not old upon thee, neither did thy foot swell these 40 years. Now, that's a really old English way of saying, God did a miracle. Your clothes didn't wear out, and your shoes didn't wear out. Now, that's kind of an underrated miracle in the Bible, right? If I asked you, like, name 10 miracles in the Bible, you'd be like, Red Sea, you know, Lazarus raised from the dead, Jesus' resurrection, you probably wouldn't put this one on there. 
But God supernaturally sustained them, even through their clothes and their shoes. Verse 5, thou shalt also consider in thy heart that as a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord thy God, he chastens you. Therefore, thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, to fear him. For the Lord thy God, listen to this, he's bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and depths, springs out of valleys and hills, which is great news if you're in the desert. A land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates and a land full of olive oil and honey. A land wherein you, you will uh, eat bread without scarceness. Thou shalt not lack anything in it. A land whose stones are iron, out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. Here's what he's saying. God gave us supernatural provision. Previously, we look back. We see his provision. He allowed our clothes to last. He gave us manna. He gave us water. He provided for us. God gave us his commandments, and that was amazing that he would give us what to do and not to do. God even gave us a slap upside our head when we needed it. He mentions that one. He chastened us. You know, God's provided so much, and that was special. But then he turns the corner, and he says, but God's not done giving. God's going to give us more. God's given us for 40 years, but he's going to give us more. He's going to give us better. It's going to be richer. It's going to be fuller. It's going to be sweeter. There's more that he has for us, right? The best is yet to come. And in light of 40 years, I would like to look back today and say, thank God for the history of our church. Most churches, I don't know if you know the data, but the vast, vast majority of churches, when they are planted, when they're new, they can't make it out of the incubator. The data on church plants is that if you look at a church that's new, a year later, they're almost all there. Three years later, and they'll publicize, the church planting networks will publicize their data at three years because they're almost all there. But five years, they're almost all gone. More than 80% of church plants cannot make it past the five-year mark. Because in the early days, there's some funding from some outside groups. There's, there's an energy. There's a pioneering spirit. There's a can-do attitude. This is new. This is fresh. But after about year four, it's like, holy smokes, this is hard. And more often than not, literally four out of five fold. They close their doors. It's been interesting for me to, to talk to some of the long-time members of the church over the past month and a half here. Some are here with us today. Some I called on the phone. Got to talk with Doris Pellick, the wife of Ted. Ted and Doris uh, planted the church 40 years ago. Talked to her for like an hour and a half. It was an amazing conversation. So many things I wanted to know. Why did you choose Harvest? Like, why'd you name us that? Why did you come to New Kensington? You know, all these things. But I asked her, I said, what? You left, you know? Why? What, what led to that? She said, you know, we were doing our best, and we had a guest preacher, someone from our home church, actually, who we knew very well, came up and said, this is taking a toll on your family. I think the church is established enough. If I were you, I would leave. And they took the advice to heart immediately. That was like in the middle of the week. And on a, I can't remember if it was a Sunday or Wednesday, but the next church service, Told the church. A few of you were here. You remember this. It's taking a toll on our family. We're done. 
And that was it. There was not a three-month runway. <laughs> there wasn't a transition plan. There was nothing. We're gone. And they were gone. And in talking with a few of you, the stories come up of that next church service. We got together and said, what are we going to do? Do we fold this thing up? Do we close the doors? Do we kind of disband and go to other churches? Do we try to make it going? And boy, I'm grateful that a handful of you that are in this room to this day decided, let's keep it going. You know what? You've, I don't know. You ever preach? I don't know, kind of. You, you preach Sunday. You, can you lead the same? Yeah, I can lead this. You play the piano. You do the nursery. And they just decided to go, to go forward. Man, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for what God's done in the past. But here we are, 40 years later. And let's not for one second rest on our laurels or kick it into neutral and say, you know what? Those were the glory days. And let's just coast for a long time. No, 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 no. The best is yet to come. In light of 40 years, Moses knew this, and we better as well. I can remember a number of years ago. I can't recall where I was, but um, Pastor Skelly had, had left, and I was pastoring. I think maybe we were in Israel together, because I did an Israel trip with him about a year after I started pastoring here. Nevertheless, we were together. And I asked him, I said, the address of the church confuses me. So we cut like our own uh, driveway up the hill, right? And because of that, we got to name the street. Now, you didn't get to do that when you moved into your house, probably. You know, you already moved into 4th Street or to probably Freeport Road, actually. There's like 8,000 of those around here. The most, as as an outsider, I have to admit, it's the most confusing thing in the world. Which Freeport Street are we talking about? But we didn't choose Freeport Street, thankfully. We named our address. We're on Harvest Lane. That makes sense, right? Harvest is on Harvest Lane. But I would have thought the number would be like one Harvest Lane. That's what I would have thought. That's what I would have named it. I said, why are we 224 Harvest Lane? And Pastor Scott said, you don't know? I don't know. But when he explained it, I'm like, it makes complete sense. That's the best address we ever could have got. It's from Joshua 224. Joshua chapter 22, verse 4. I told him, I said, you're going to have to tell me what Joshua 22.4 says, because I do not know off the top of my head, you know. And here's what Joshua 22.4 says. Now the Lord your God has given rest unto your brethren, as he's promised them. Therefore now return ye, get to your tents, and then unto the land of your possession, which Moses the servant of the Lord gave you on the other side of Jordan. And here's the paraphrase of that verse. The church is over in New Kensington, in the old First Baptist building, got this land, put up the building, and the paraphrase of that verse is, go to your tents and pack up your stuff and get to your new land that's on the other side of the river. That's the verse, right? And that was kind of the, the idea and the heartbeat of, you know what, we're going to pack up our stuff and we're going to move to our new land that's on the other side of the river. Not the Jordan River, obviously, but the Allegheny River. I thought, how beautiful is that? That 2008, 2009, there's a group of people that say, you know what, we are viewing this spot where we're at today, we're viewing this as the promised land, you know. We're crossing the river and we're, we're staking our claim and we are going to possess this land and God's going to do something here. And you know what, you were right. He has. I mean, it's crazy to me to see all of you stand who are at the old buildings, but then to see how, I don't know what the percentage was, 80, 90% of the room are people that have come since we've been on this property. It's amazing. 
But let's not think that God's done, right? It's, it's not like he got weaker. It's not like his promises got less sure. It's not like his spirit is less present or that salvation is less free. Like, he still wants to do some stuff, right? So let's trust him for that. And in the light of 40 years, look forward and say, you know what? The best is yet to come. Number three, in light of 40 years, know this. And this may be the most important one. God gets the glory. Verse number 10. What, I mean, just masterful instruction Moses gives. When thou hast eaten and art full in your new land... Then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the land that he has given thee. And I, I love singing that song this morning. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Worship his holy name, right? It's fitting that we bless the Lord on this day. Verse 11, but beware, play the ominous haunting music in the background, that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes which I command thee this day. Lest, here's what's going to happen if you're not careful. When thou hast eaten and you are full and you build goodly houses and you dwell therein and when your herds and your flocks, they multiply and the silver and the gold is multiplied and all that thou hast is multiplied. Be careful, beware that thine heart be lifted up and thou forget the Lord thy God. Warning, you may get a little bit in the future and if you're not careful, pride will will start to set in and you'll start to think you've done this. But I want you to remember, God is the source of our blessing. He goes on to say, he's the one that brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, verse 15. He led you through that great and terrible wilderness wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought and there was no water. He brought you forth water out of the rock of Flint. He fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, that he might prove thee, to do good to thee at the latter end. And thou, say in thy heart, you're going to say this? And you can almost sense that this is just dripping with irony. You're going to say, my power and might of my hand hath gotten me this wealth. Uh Uh-uh. Thou shalt remember the Lord thy God. It's he that gives you the power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant, which he swore unto your fathers, as it is this day. And it shall be, if you do it all, forget the Lord thy God, or walk after other gods, and serve them, and worship them, I testify against you this day, you shall surely perish. Like the nations that God destroyed before your face, yeah, you'll perish like that. Because you would not be obedient unto the voice of the Lord your God. That's a long passage that's all saying the same thing. You are going to get established. You are going to get rooted. And in 40 years, we have now become established and rooted. We have. And the budget has grown from $10,000 to $3 million. And the church has grown. First Sunday of the church, Pastor Pellick, Doris Pellick, four children, one person. One visitor, right? Seven. That's the first Sunday. We've grown a little bit since then. And here's the temptation. We've done it. We've arrived. You know what? We really managed the money well. We, we really navigated those financial waters. We had faith. We did this. We did that. Uh-uh. The Lord has done it. I never saved anybody. You? You ever saved someone's soul? 
You ever forgive their sins? You done a cross for them? You sustain them? No. God gets the credit and God gets the glory. And while there is a place, and we should do this, there is a place to say, those of you that have been here a long time, stand up, let us see you, let us clap for you. That's fitting, our gratitude on this day. There's a place, and I would encourage you, I would encourage you, if you came at maybe the White Building or Locust Street or whatever, and you have a number of the pastor that you came and you were first introduced to, you were here under Pastor Skelly or whoever, I would encourage you to text them today to thank them for their faithfulness, for thank them for, for what they did over the years. I took some time this morning, and I don't have a number for Pastor Pellick. I've tried to find one, and if any of you are private investigators and you can get one for me, knock yourself out. I'd love it. But I have a number for Jerry Travis and Joe Aldrich and Kurt Skelly. And I, I text them this morning and said, I'm grateful. I'm, I'm, God gets the glory, but I'm grateful that you led. I'm grateful that you sacrificed. Leading isn't easy. You try to make the best decisions for the most people, but you can never make everyone happy. Some calls you don't know what to do. It's hard sometimes. It takes a toll on your family sometimes. I said, man, I want to recognize that today, and I want to thank you for the years that you invested in this place. That's so appropriate on this day. But that, even though it's appropriate, does not supersede that God is the one who gets the glory. Moses was an effective leader and Joshua was an effective leader, but it was God that did it. It was through him. And today, may we remember afresh and anew, as the psalmist said, this is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. We are grateful that he would do it in our midst. One more note and I'm done. It struck me as I read through this passage how grateful they were for so many things but how what I thought would have been the centerpiece wasn't the centerpiece. There's an allusion to leaving, ex- leaving Egypt and the Exodus. There's an allusion to the Red Sea and getting the commandments. But the centerpiece that they are most grateful for in this passage is actually the wilderness. The wilderness is a strange thing. It's, it's this place that you cannot live in. You're not meant to live there. <laughs> like the... The wells aren't deep enough. The brooks dry up too quickly. You just, you can't survive. And they mention that. In the new land, there's going to be all this water everywhere, you know. But the wilderness is also a place that you can't live without in many ways. Because it's in the wilderness that God tests you and tries you, sometimes even punishes you. And you start to learn deep, valuable lessons. It's in those hard times, right? Some of you know this to be true in your own life. That when your existence is charmed and things are going according to plan, you don't grow as much. But when things are hard, you grow. And you don't want to live there forever, but you need them, right? And they over and over again say, God did some amazing things, but God also took us through the hard times. And he was there. Even when the chips were down, he was there. I reflected all this week on so many memories, but I was, I couldn't help but to think back to just, I guess, I don't know, seven years ago now, when Pastor Skelly resigned after 20 years, 
And thankfully, he didn't do it Pelic style and just say, like, I'm out next week. See you later. You know, there was a few months and some runway. And, but that's hard. And I was thinking about the you all and how you should be commended because it was hard for you. Because you went from someone with 20 years of experience who's such a gifted communicator, has unbelievable people skills, to a 29-year-old who's trying to figure out the art of communication and has mediocre people skills. <laughs> like, you downgraded significantly. And I, I'm not just saying that tongue-in-cheek. Like, that's the truth. <laughs> but you all, like, you took a chance on a young Mark and Maggie, you know? And I was thinking back and like, how, how did I not split the church in the first six months? I don't know. Like, I, th I think I probably should have. Like, it, it, I don't know that, that I had what it took to get through six months or to get through a year. But as I looked back, I thought there's only one answer to that. Well, maybe two. The, the shallow answer is that you all are made of metal and you put up with a lot, which is true. But the big answer is that God was just good. Like, I don't know how to explain that time because it wasn't my wisdom or my power or my strength or ingenuity or my know-it-all or my people skills or my uh, oratory skills because it was some rough sledding there for a bit. But there's a, there was God in the midst of it showing up and working and providing, even in those hard times, even in those wilderness moments. And on 40 years, we look back and we say, you know what? There have been some mountaintops and there have been some valleys, but God has been through it all. And we look ahead and say, there's going to be some mountaintops, but there's going to be some valleys, but you know what? We're trusting that God will be there as well. So church family, in light of 40 years, know that you need the word of God. And I think that that should produce in us a spiritual hunger for his word. In light of 40 years... Let's be optimistic about the future. The best is yet to come. Let's be hope-filled. In light of 40 years, let's understand that he's done it. He gets all the glory and all the credit, and we point to him and we worship him today. Amen?